In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. Like to welcome you all to our new program. It's a long title, Holy Mass and Holy Communion, God's Sublime Gift for the Salvation of All. We can really summarize my title in the importance of Holy Mass and Holy Communion. So in these 12 lectures, I'll be explaining what is Holy Mass and Holy Communion. So my friends, we always like to begin our conversation by praying together. We like to invite Mary to be with us. Mary is the mother of God. She's the mother of the church. And Mary's also the mother of each and every one of us. When Mary appears in Fatima, Lourdes, Guadalupe, what did she ask for? She asked that a church be built. Why? So that the holy sacrifice, the Mass, would be offered and the people would be able to receive Holy Communion as their means of sanctification and salvation. Indeed, there's no greater action that we can do in this world than to receive Holy Communion worthily. To receive Holy Communion worthily is the greatest action we can do in this world in which we live. So, my friends, let's start off by praying to Mary as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, Pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Now, my friends, to give you all encouragement, I promise as a Catholic priest to pray for all of you. There is actually no greater prayer in the whole world then the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. It's God's sublime gift for the salvation of the whole world. That being said, I will be praying for all of you today, most specifically in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. I'll be placing all of you on the altar in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. There indeed is no greater thing in the whole created universe than the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. But even before doing that, I invite all of us to invite the Holy Spirit to be with us. The Holy Spirit has many titles. The Holy Spirit is known as the Paraclete. 
The Holy Spirit is also known as the gift of gifts, as expressed in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. The Holy Spirit is also known as taken from the sequence that we pray on Pentecost, He is the sweet guest of the soul. The Holy Spirit is also known as the Consoler. As we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, that He consoles us in all of our afflictions. Holy Spirit is also known as the Counselor. That means he who gives us good advice, the counselor. If that were not enough, the Holy Spirit is also known as He's also known as our teacher, our interior master. We all struggle at times with prayer. We all struggle at times with prayer. But good news. Romans chapter 8. St. Paul says this. We don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Holy Spirit intercedes with Ineffable groans, so that we can say, Abba, which means Daddy or Father. Therefore, let's invite the Holy Spirit to give us a lot of light in our intellect, that we would really get to know better and better the holy sacrifice of the Mass, God's sublime gift to us that we would participate as Vatican II points out in his document Sacrosanctum Concilium, that we would participate fully, actively, and consciously in the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. That's right, that all of us would participate fully, actively, and consciously in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. And therefore, we're going to pray. We're going to pray and place all of you on the altar in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. When I lift up the chalice with the precious blood of Christ, and I lift up the paten, which you have the body of Christ. I'll be lifting you up to heaven, that God would send a deluge of graces upon you. That God would send a deluge 
just a deluge of grace is upon you. God will send a deluge of graces upon you. How good God is. So let's pray that prayer to the Holy Spirit. And trust the Holy Spirit is going to give us a lot of light. A lot of peace, a lot of joy, as we say, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and then kindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us that by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation to the same Christ our Lord. Amen. O Lady Guadalupe, pray for us. St. Joseph, pray for us. St. Ignatius, pray for us. All God's angels and saints, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. So, my friends, we're giving a series of talks on the Holy Mass and Holy Eucharist. What I'd like to do today is I'd like to start off by giving you a summary of what we talked about last week. Last week, our first lecture, we actually talked about the Mass and the Eucharist under this aspect. What are what are the basic conditions that are required to receive the Eucharist worthily? That's right. What are the basic conditions to receive the Eucharist worthily? Because we will make sure that we receive the Eucharist, that we receive the Eucharist with a proper disposition. So let me go through the three basic conditions of receiving the Eucharist and then move into our next topic, which we'd like to be talking about what is called the liturgical cycle, the liturgical year. But let's start by giving a summary giving a summary of the three basic conditions to receive our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
in the Eucharist properly. Number one is that to receive the Eucharist worthily, we must believe and have faith. in what the Eucharist is. That's right. We, we must believe and have faith in what the Eucharist is. And that means we must believe that the consecrated host, when the host is consecrated in the holy sacrifice of the Mass, that that host is truly and substantially the body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's right. The body, the blood, the soul, and the divinity of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We call it the real presence. I told you the story that my sister-in-law did not become a Catholic right away because she believed that that host was just a symbol. And from reading a book on the Mass by Scott Hahn, in which she read, Jesus said very clearly, if we don't eat his body and drink his blood, we will not have everlasting life. It was like a lightning bolt flashed on her and she was given the gift of faith and she entered into full communion with the church, made her first communion and confirmation. But she did not become a Catholic right away because she believed that the Eucharist was just a symbol The Eucharist is not a symbol. We call it the real presence. For that reason, in most parishes throughout the country, for a child to make his or her first communion, there are two years, two years of preparation. So that the child can truly understand that that's not simply a piece of bread. It's really God himself. It's God himself. So my friends, let's, uh, let's pray that God would strengthen our belief in the Eucharist. That we would say, Lord... Lord, strengthen my faith. Lord, I believe, but strengthen my faith. So that's the first condition to making a worthy communion by means, by, by that we will be sanctified. Believing in the real presence. Number two, to receive the Eucharist worthily 
The church requires what's called the Eucharistic fast. This has changed in time. This has changed in time. So the church has ecclesiastical rules that can be modified. When I was a little child, a little child, communion, the communion fast was from midnight on. And the church, which is Mater e Magistra, the church which is both mother and teacher, decided to abrogate or to change that ecclesiastical discipline. Priests would sometimes have to wait until midday before they could celebrate Mass and they're almost fainting. So the church changed it from, from midnight to three hours. So before receiving communion, you had to be fasting three hours. And then more recently, it's been changed from three hours to one hour. It's no real big deal. So say, for example, you went to Mass at 10 o'clock yesterday. The priest is giving out communion at 10.40. If you're finishing your breakfast at 9.40, technically you could still receive Holy Communion. So the Eucharistic fast today is uh, is not overly demanding, to say the least. Now when I say Eucharistic fast, I mean this. No solid food. No beverage, no coffee. However, you can drink water, and you t- and you can take medicine. So that's the Eucharistic fast. The reason behind that is even little sacrifices offered to God with love are pleasing to God. St. Therese of Lisieux said that holiness holiness depends upon doing the small things with great love. Also, if, if we've eaten a lot and our stomach becomes upset, that could cause a, a problem when we receive the Eucharist too. So sacrifice as well as a practical concern of the church. Okay, then the third condition that is required to make a fruitful communion is we have to be in the state of sanctifying grace. That's right. 
we have to be in the state of sanctifying grace. You may have heard many different thoughts on this matter. I've heard sometimes people have said, well, I heard this person say, I committed the mortal sin, I can receive communion, but then next week I can go to confession. Uh, that's wrong. That's wrong. If you're aware of having committed a mortal sin, then the Catechism teaches us very clearly that we're, we are obliged in conscience to make a good sacramental confession. That means going to confession to the priest. Going to confession to the priest. And receiving absolution. before you can receive Holy Communion. That's right. Just that you're clear on this, because there's a lot of confusion out there. We've never lived in a world with so much information, but we've never lived in a world with so much confusion at the same time. you commit a mortal sin, a mortal sin would be grave matter, full knowledge, and full consent of the will. I repeat, a mortal sin would be grave matter, something serious, full knowledge, you know it, full consent of the will, it's not done by accident, it's done on purpose then you commit a mortal sin, thereby depriving yourself of sanctifying grace. You, can't go up to, you cannot go up to communion in that state. If you receive communion in the state of mortal sin, it's called a sacrilege. As St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, some are eating and drinking to their own condemnation. We want the Eucharist to be a source of sanctification, not of condemnation. So that you understand this, I'll give you a very concrete example. And it's the following. Okay, so it's Sunday. You and your husband get up late. You go to a nearby restaurant to have a brunch. You finish at 1 o'clock. And in the back of your mind, you know you have to go to Mass on Sunday. The, your church has five Masses from 8 o'clock to 5 o'clock in the afternoon. As we have here. Then you go off to a park with your family and have... Have some fun. Play sports. Listen to me, some music. Have a picnic. Then after that, you take your family to a, a movie theater. And it's already 4.30. And you know that the last Mass is at 5. So instead of going to Mass at 5, 
you go to a movie. By the time it's over, it's already 7.30. So all, all that day you had in your mind, you, I have to go to Mass, and I have to bring my children to Mass, but you rejected that inspiration that came from the Holy Spirit. That is a mortal sin. So, by committing that mortal sin, you've deprived yourself of the grace of God. And that sin is actually compounded because by not going to Mass, your children didn't go to Mass, so we actually gave them bad example. You might call it a double whammy. So make sure Make sure that you always you always have the holy sacrifice of the Mass as the very heart of your week. Sunday is the day of the Lord. The holy sacrifice of the Mass is the summit, the apex, the zenith. By means of an analogy, the very heart of your body pumps blood through your body. The very heart of our spiritual life pumps spiritual life in us through the Mass and through the Eucharist. Our salvation depends upon Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ through the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. So that's a brief summary of our first lecture. is that to receive communion worthily, you have to believe in the real presence. And they also said we have to try to clean up our vocabulary. I've heard people sometimes say, I'm going to Mass and I'm going to go to receive the bread. That's uh, not good. That's uh, not very good liturgical vocabulary. It's uh, it's not good a good way of speaking to such a sublime gift. What you should say is, I'm going to Holy Mass, and I have a hunger to receive. Jesus Christ in Holy Communion. That's the best way to specify this sublime gift. So Holy Communion is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. I'm going to receive Holy Communion and I'm not going to be grabbing the bread. All right, my friends. So, I'd like to introduce you into a new topic in our 10-week conferences on the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And honestly, I believe the topic that I'll start to address today 
is in chronological order very appropriate and pertinent. And it's this. I'd like to talk about Jesus Christ present in what is called the liturgical year. The, the, the liturgical cycle. So we'll start to explain that today. So our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ becomes alive and visits us, touches us, and actually enters into us in his real person through the mystical body which is the church. So the whole life of Christ, his conception, his birth, his public life, his preaching, his teaching, his miracles, his exorcisms, his passion and death, his burial, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension into heaven, his sending of the Holy Spirit, the whole arc of the life of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ comes to us, communicates itself to us in the most powerful and efficacious way In the Mass, but in the whole cycle, cycle which means it repeats itself, the cycle of the church year. I've often thought it to be somewhat, somewhat ironical, but, but I see how true it is. That the very end of the life of Christ, that you can read in the, the last part of the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and Acts chapter 1, we have the ascension of Jesus into heaven. So Jesus rose from the dead. We call that Easter Sunday. Then Jesus appeared several times to the apostles and some of the disciples during those 40 days. Then after 40 days, Jesus he ascended into heaven. And his last words were, Go out to all nations. Go out to all nations. Baptizing them. Go out to all nations and teach them all that I taught you. Then he said, Baptize them 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus ascends into heaven, but then he says, Behold, I am with you always, even until the end of time. I am with you always, even until the end of time. Then before the, in, before the eyes of the apostles, Jesus ascends, ascends, ascends on high. He ascends into heaven. Where he sits at the right hand of God the Father. As we say in the creed, from thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. Now my... My reflection on this was, Lord, if you you said that you're going to be with us all days until the end of time, why are you sending up to heaven and leaving us? And the response to that question is very clear. In heaven, Jesus is present in heaven in his glorified body. With the Father and the Holy Spirit. With his blessed mother. With the angels and the saints. So true. However. He indeed is with us. And he's with us. In the church. The church, the documents of Vatican II give many names for the church. The family of God. The people of God. God's flock. But also another name for the church. The church is the mystical body of Christ. So indeed Christ is in heaven in his glorified body, but Christ is also present to us in the holy sacrifice of the Mass. So what we're going to do today, we're going to start today to go through the church year, the liturgical cycle. Just that you're keenly aware of the whole idea of what the site, the church cycle is, I'll give you an example of, a, of another cycle. We have a yearly cycle and the cycle has four seasons. Spring, summer, fall, and winter. 
That would be a natural cycle that we go through every year. Right now we have we happen to be in the in the winter season. So in a certain sense to understand the church cycle is understand the whole concept of a cycle and the cycle is something that repeats itself. But the church cycle what it does is it constantly repeats and renews the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in his mystical body, which is called the church. And most specifically, and most specifically, in the sacraments. And the sacrament that we're explaining in our series of programs is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. Which is the greatest of all the sacraments because it's Christ himself. On Sunday, which is the very kernel and heart of our celebration of Christ Sunday has actually three different cycles with respect to the readings and I'll just mention that to you as we start off our conversation on the church liturgical year there is cycle A cycle B and cycle C and this refers to the lectionary meaning the readings in the mass on Sunday so letter A in Sunday mass you'll be listening to the gospel of St. Matthew Letter B, you'll be listening attentively to the Gospel of St. Mark. Letter C, you'll be listening attentively to the Gospel of St. Luke. So, last Sunday, and the Sunday before, we're in what is called ordinary time. We're, we're reading as the priest, and you're listening to the Gospel of St. Matthew. Matthew chapter 5, which you're listening to the greatest preaching of Jesus Christ in, in the Bible with respect to length and it's called the Sermon on the Mount the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5 6 and 7 starting off with what are called the Beatitudes the eight Beatitudes 
And following that, Jesus challenges us all by means of a simile. He challenges us to be the salt of the earth the light of the world and to be a city on the top of a mountain. So letter A, we're actually in liturgical year, letter A, we're going to be reading through the Gospel of St. Matthew. The Gospel of St. Matthew. So giving that as a as a foundation, as groundwork, I'd like to start off explaining the church year by the very beginning of the church year. The start of the civil year is obviously January 1st. But the beginning of the church year starts usually around the end of November, sometimes the beginning of September. It's not always the same date. This, my friends, is the holy season of Advent. The word Advent from Latin, advenire, it it means the coming. It refers to the days and weeks before Christmas, as well as in preparation for Christmas. So it's a season which we're preparing for Christmas, which of course is the birthday of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A simple analogy. If you want to give a surprise birthday, for your husband who's turning 50, say maybe in June. And you really want to have a, a, a really great surprise birthday party. The success of that birthday party depends upon the prior preparation. So we have to prepare ourselves for certain events. Another example might be, for example, I like baseball. Baseball happens to be my favorite sport. Baseball season usually starts at the end of March or the beginning of April. But already in February, 
the players are coming together for what is called spring training. So they're going to have close to two months, maybe a little bit less than that, which they will have spring training, which they'll be doing exercise. They'll be playing other teams. It's not the real season yet. It's spring training in which they're preparing themselves for the opening day, which will take place usually around the beginning of April. Before a choir sings at Mass, we hope that the choir is going to be practicing before. Before you cooking, hopefully, you've taken a culinary class. Otherwise, your meal is going to be a real penance to those who eat your meal. What do you think? So in our lives we see the extreme importance of preparing ourselves for a surprise birthday, to play sports, to sing in the Mass on Sunday, even to prepare a luscious meal. So by means of analogy, if we prepare ourselves, if we prepare ourselves for these natural events, sometimes in great detail, we're very meticulous in preparing for these human events, how much more? In our preparation, For the receiving of Christ. So Advent, Advenire, which means coming, is a time of preparation for the most important birthday in the history of humanity. That birthday is that of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ which every year we'll celebrate December 24th, Christmas Eve, and then December 25th, which is Christmas itself. Now, the, the Advent season is not always the same length of days. For example, last Advent was the longest Advent possible because Christmas actually fell on a Sunday. So Advent, my friends, is it's always, Advent is always going to be Four Sundays. So take that for granted. Every Advent consists of four Sundays. But when it falls on Sunday, you'll have four full Sundays. 
But if it falls, say for example, on a Thursday, it'll be it'll be like four days four days shorter. So I repeat, it's always going to be four Sundays in Advent, and the longest would be when Christmas actually falls on a Sunday itself. So you're going to be noticing also in the church liturgical year, and that's what we're starting to explain today, the church liturgical year, the church cycle, that the priest, in the celebration of the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, he comes out, wearing a liturgical color. A liturgical color. So I'll just mention that now. When the, church, when the priest, when the church celebrates the life of Christ in what is called ordinary time, and we'll be explaining this, If there's no saint or feast or solemnity that's celebrated in ordinary time, the priest will come out in green. So green is a color, the liturgical color in ordinary time. Alright, then you're going to see if the priest will come out In red. And quite frequently. For example, February 6th, throughout the world, wherever the priest celebrates Mass, the United States, Mexico, Italy, or Japan, the priest will be wearing red. And the reason for that is February 6th, is the day in which the church universally celebrates the memorial of St. Paul Mickey and companions. St. Paul Mickey was a Jesuit martyr with his companions that were placed on a cross and they were martyred for Christ. Martyr means witness. They, they shed their blood for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So every time you see a priest come out in red, almost always, that's because the church is celebrating the feast of, of a martyr or sometimes several martyrs. In the case of St. Paul, Paul Mickey was he and his companions that they suffered martyrdom in the hills of Nagasaki. A time in which the priest will come out in red and the bishop will come out in red is when confirmation is being celebrated or Pentecost is being celebrated. And that color red is for 
the color of the Holy Spirit, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Then we have white. White is the color that the priest will wear when we celebrate the feast day of the Blessed Virgin Mary or any saint that has not been martyred as well as in the Christmas season as well as in the long the long season the Easter season so that's a, that's the white color the priest might come out in gold that's the same gold replaces white and that takes us to the liturgical color that the priest wears in the in the season of advent and that color my friends is that of a purple you'll notice that a priest wears a purple stole when he's hearing confessions the priest also wears purple in the holy season of Lent and also the priest wears in the season of Lent the purple color you might ask well what what does purple mean Well, basically, purple is a color that is symbolic of the first preaching of Jesus Christ and a fundamental attitude that we have to strive to carry out in our lives during the whole course of our lives in Mark chapter 1 verse 15 we hear the first homily of Jesus sermon of Jesus at the beginning of his public ministry in St. Mark 1 15 and Jesus said be converted be converted because the kingdom of God is at hand Therefore, purple is a color that symbolizes the call to conversion. Be converted because the kingdom of God is at hand. The word in Greek is metanoia change of the way we're thinking a change of our affections 
A change of our heart. A renunciation of all that not is pleasing to God. So my friends, we've introduced you in our series of talks on the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. We've just started explaining what is called the liturgical year. The liturgical cycle. Our hope and our prayer, my friends, is that we would really fall in love with God through Jesus Christ and through the mystical body, which is the Church, and most specifically through the Mass and Holy Eucharist. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.